0: the book of Genesis and the book of Romans. I believe you can do this, but we have to have two books open at the same time in the Bible because the New Testament looks back to the Old Testament. So open your Bibles up to Genesis 18 and to Romans 4. The series is called Romans, Nail It Down. The theme is based on the Reformation, which happened with Martin Luther nailing his theses to the church door, Uh, there in Wittenberg, and, and the book of Romans is what led him to see that the church had gone astray, and he wanted to reform the church 500 years ago. So we're commemorating that and the book and the role that the book of Romans played in that. It's called Nail It Down. It's also, though, a challenge to you and me to nail down certain things about our faith that are set forth plainly in the book of Romans. So the Apostle Paul has been taking several chapters in Romans to explain to us how we are saved and how we're not saved. Then he points to a hero of the Old Testament, Abraham. And we've spent two weeks now going on three weeks with the person of Abraham. And God has been promising Abraham, 2000 B.C., God has been promising Abraham that he's going to become a daddy. When God showed up and started talking to Abraham, calling him out of the land of Ur, Abraham had no children. He was 75 years old. Now he's approaching 100 And he still doesn't have the child that God promised him. And Abraham hasn't really talked back much. But here we are in Genesis chapter 18, verse 9. And here's what it says. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. Oh, it's go time. One year away. Next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening. Now, Sarah's 10 years younger than Abraham, so she's like 89 years old. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, "'After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure?' The Lord said to Abraham, "'Why did Sarah laugh and say, "'Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old?' Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's just a really good moment there to pause because while you're likely not 89 years old hoping that you're going to have a child in a year, there is something in your life and you're wondering if God can do it. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. This is a great little interjection there. She laughs. She's like, <laughs> and then this angel of the Lord is like, why did you laugh? And She's like, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. And just for clarification, the angel said, no, but you did laugh. Just one. And Isaac's name is laughter, which there's a laughter theme here because it is laughable that a couple in their upper, in their nineties and upper nineties are going to have a baby. Now look at chapter 21. It says in Genesis chapter 21 verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This amazing story, this unbelievable story, if it happened today, it would be worldwide news tomorrow. Right, 100 year old dad, 80 uh, or 90 year old mom give birth to first child together. It would be all over the news. And here, 2000 years BC, we're still talking about it today. This is the foundation for what we're going to learn about God and his plan for your life. Let's pray and then we'll get into the word together. Father, what an amazing story. What an impossible story. But is there anything too hard for the Lord? If you can give a couple in their 90s a baby, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I'll ask it again. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? We pour contempt on our doubts. We pour contempt on our unbelief when we limit you with our fears, petty as they are. We ask that you would show us, Lord, why you did such an unbelievable thing so long ago. Because it's bigger than just a baby. Show us what you had in store for the world. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now we're going to Romans 4. So open up to Romans 4. You're fast forwarding. Jesus is dead, buried, risen, exalted. The church has been around for many years now. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And he's uh, covering the the idea of how we get saved. So in Romans uh, chapter 4 verse 16 he continues using the story of abraham to teach us about faith it says here in verse 16 that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherents of the law but also to the one who shares in the faith of abraham who is the father of us all so the point of abraham coming up in the book of romans is his faith showed you how to know God. His faith showed us how to be right with God. It goes on to say in verse 17, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring offspring be. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It goes on to say, who, uh, and counted to us who believe him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We're going to take this one section at a time, but the first thing you can write down in your bulletin is this. Are you saved by grace through faith in God's promises? Abraham was saved by grace through faith in God's promises. God promised him a son who would lead to Uh, More descendants than there are sand on the seashore. Even though it was an impossible thing to believe, Abraham believed the impossible, that God would bring a a living child uh, into the world and through that child would bring a blessing to the globe. His faith mirrors our faith. Are you saved by grace through faith in God's promises? In Paul's day, there were Jewish people who were depending on the law. I will behave and God will accept me. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're a behavior. Maybe you're behaving your way to heaven. And you think if your behavior is good enough, God will welcome you into heaven. Listen, I've got news for you. The Bible is saying behaviors don't go to heaven. Believers go to heaven. Are you a believer or are you a behavior? Do you want God to see you're believing or do you want God to see you're behaving? You should want God to see you're believing. Look what I'm believing, not look how I'm behaving. And here, are you saved by grace through faith in God's promises? It says in verse 16, that is why it depends on faith. It depends on faith. Faith in what? Faith that God can bring life from nothing. Life from the dead. There's many parallels here in what Abraham actually believed to what you actually have to believe. God can bring life from the dead. It says here in verse 17, God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Uh, The parallel here is God is bringing a child from a childless, lifeless womb. When it says in the Bible that the way of women had ceased with Sarah, it means that she no longer had a cycle. She no longer... Uh, each month had an egg released that could become a child. That had long since stopped. This is why it's so laughable. She, her body couldn't actually produce the means to have a baby. And uh, Abraham was knocking on 100, so if he went do- to the doctor and sat down and was like, Doc, shoot straight with me. Give me the odds that I can actually father a child. The doctor wouldn't even have to look at the chart. Zero percent. No, no, just give it some thought. I mean, like, you know, in the medical community, there must be some research on this, but like, what are are the odds statistically that I could actually produce a child? Zero percent. None. Not even a fraction. Zero. And the fact that God put a baby there, shows that he can bring life from death, a dead womb. He can bring life from death. He can also, and this echoes back to Genesis, he can call life forth from non-existence, just like he called the universe forth from nothing, so he can call forth life from nothing. And that is our God. God bringing life from death, God bringing something from nothing, is what our faith is based on. The Bible focuses on the strength and certainty of Abraham's faith in the impossible. He believed the impossible promises of God, that God can bring life from, the, from dead, from the death, that God can bring something from nothing, and this is what you and I must be believe, that God can bring life from death, that he can bring something from Nothing. In Genesis 3, 7 to 14, it says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So this is a global truth. So then, those who are of the faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The point is this. We are saved by grace through faith in God's promises, not by behaving By believing, God took Abraham outside before this and showed him the stars and said, Look, your descendants are going to be that many. And Abraham went like this. And that's how he got saved. I joked yesterday that if somebody, or last week, that if somebody ever says to you, Well, what makes you so special? Why are you going to heaven? Just be like this. Here, I'll show you. You ready? You want me to show you again? Watch. What are you doing? I'm believing. What? It has to be harder than that? No! No, 2000 BC, there's this old guy who did this, and he got to go to heaven. It's believing, not behaving, that gets you into heaven. Are you saved by grace through faith in God's promises? The word grace means you get something that you can never deserve. So all of the uh, leaders from this church, the men who lead small groups or ministries, we got away for a two-day retreat up in Michigan, Uh, Friday and Saturday this week. So I got a picture here of Pastor Mark leading a devotion up there. But here we are at a retreat center. It's just gorgeous up near Grand Rapids, Michigan. And we, we had to drive through the icy terrain to get up there. Like cars spun out everywhere. And even on the way home yesterday, I was clinging to my steering wheel as we were watching cars spin out and trucks going by so quickly. It was worth it though, because there we were at this retreat center and uh, here we are in a devotion time, just learning about what it means to be men who follow hard after God. Now, this retreat center, I just have to boast a little bit about our, our fun up there. There were snowmobiles, there were outdoor vehicles, there was ping pong, uh, there, there, was, we, you know, th- there was more food than we even knew what to do with. There was an entire freezer filled with ice cream and we could just eat it at all hours of the day. Are you jealous? I know you're jealous. And then, and that, it, it was so awesome. And we, here's the thing, we didn't have to pay anything for it, because it is offered to us as a ministry by the couple that owns it, and they love to bless churches who want to bring leaders up and to have a retreat. So we ate like three awesome meals a day, and, and they had candy out all the time, you could just have candy anytime you want. And we got to use all their toys, and we didn't have to pay anything, we, they were just like, there you go. There was a hot tub, and, and then we just drove home. Now listen, were there bills? Yes. Oh, we, we ran up a very high bill. I wouldn't want to see the bill that we ran up. But we didn't have to pay it because someone else said, this is our gift to you. Our church had to pay nothing. Our leaders had to pay nothing. It was simply free to us, costly to them, free to us. Now, when you arrive to the pearly gates of heaven, if you think you're going to like show how you've earned your way in, show how you've paid your ticket, you don't get grace. Grace means that you will never deserve a place there. You can never pay your way in. Someone else has to pay the entrance fee, the bill. And if you show up saying, I I can't earn my way in here, but I know the person who owns it, and he invited me as a guest, free to me. Then you understand grace. Grace means a free gift. Are you saved by grace through faith in God's promises? That's what heaven's all about. In John 8, 56-59, it says this. Jesus said, "'Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad.'" So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, yet you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, I could talk about this verse the whole morning, but the point I want to make is Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Abraham's faith looked ahead to Jesus. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's what Jesus brought to the earth. He fulfilled the promises made to Abraham. So my question to you, based on what the Bible says here, look at verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. Are you of the faith of Abraham? Do you believe the impossible promises of God? It says in verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Are you fully convinced that God did what he promised in the Lord Jesus Christ The second thing you can write down is this, as we get more detailed into what we actually believe. Are you born again to eternal life? Are you saved by grace through faith in God's promises? And number two, are you born again to eternal life? It says in verse 17, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. You need life that you can't give yourself God what God did in bringing Isaac into the world is a portrait of what he must do to you he must give you life because your starting point with him is death the Bible describes the human condition not as you being bad not not I mean that's true but it's not just that you're bad Uh, It's that you're dead, spiritually dead to God. That's a bad starting point, which means your need is not for somebody to make you better, but for somebody to give you life, for someone to make you alive. Are you born again to eternal life? Just as God gave life to Abraham and Sarah through Isaac, has he given you life from death? Are you born again to eternal life? There was a uh, movie that came out several years ago. I didn't see it. So if it's a terrible movie, don't come up to me and be like, I can't believe you watched that. I, I didn't see it. All right, I didn't see it. But the premise of the movie is very interesting. The movie is called Warm Bodies. Here's a picture of the, uh, the movie. It's a story about a zombie who falls in love with a human. Aww. It's kind of a Romeo and Juliet, except Romeo's dead. You know, it's one of those new takes on these old love stories. But the whole point of the movie is that love from this girl brings the zombie back to life. Isn't it adorable? But one of the things this zombie says is fascinating. At the beginning of the book, actually, the zombie says this, I'm dead, but it's not so bad. I've learned to live with it. I'm dead, but it's not so bad. I've learned to live with it. That's actually very accurate in describing your spiritual starting point with God. You're dead, but you've learned to live with it. Maybe you've never understood your primary problem in life is that spiritually you're dead. You're living, but you have no spiritual life without Christ. You're dead to God. And unless something changes that, Death will continue on after this life. That's called the second death. Death is our starting point. Life is what God must do for us. We have no life spiritually. And then comes Jesus who offers us a love that will bring us back to life. That is a beautiful story. Are you born again to eternal life? There's a lot of false teaching out there about our spiritual condition. Some people teach us that we are divine. You're divine. There's a spark of God in each one of us, and you just need to find it and nurture it. False. The Bible says that we were created in God's image, but then sin brought death, which means there is not this living spark of divine in us. It's lacking. It's gone. And we can't get it back without God taking action on our behalf. Some people say we're good. We are good And our better angels will prevail if we just get society right and we stop messing people up. We just need to take our hands off and let people develop and and their goodness will bloom like a flower. And we say, no, we are not fundamentally good. We're fundamentally dead. Other religions acknowledge the problem, but then they teach a works-based path to fulfillment. You, you do these five things or these ten things or these th- things every day, and then, and then you might get to where God wants you to go. And we think that's fundamentally flawed because it doesn't line up with our basic problem. Our basic problem is not that we morally need to level up. Our basic problem is that we need to come back to life. Come back to life. Are you born again to eternal life? We must be born again. I like what Stuart Stuart McAllister says. He's a member of the RZIM speaking team. He said this, people don't know where their unhappiness comes from. Do you know miserable people? Are you a miserable person? Don't answer. It's an internal question. People are so miserable. And yet, I like what he says, people don't know where their unhappiness comes from. If you trace it all the way back to the source, it's not their financial problem. It's not their boss. It's not their parents, right? It, all the way, all the way back upstream, their problem is they're spiritually lifeless before God. That's where it all begins. And if you can't take care of that primary problem, nothing else will get fixed. Faith has a past tense. And the point is this. The Bible teaches that we have to believe the impossible, that God sent a miracle child into the world, jesus christ he was born of a virgin just like isaac should have never been born jesus should have never been born it's impossible but he was born and then he lived the perfect life and then he died on the cross for you and me then he was thrown into a tomb and on the third day he was raised to life faith in jesus christ the miracle child who came down from heaven to rescue us faith gives us new life we're born again And then we're saved, not because of our behaving, but because of our believing, because we believe the impossible promise of God, that he brought Jesus in miraculously, and then that he raised him to life miraculously. And he did that to show what he needs to do to you. He needs to pick you up out of a dark tomb of sin and give you brand new life. Your faith needs a past tense. There needs to be a point where you ask Jesus to be your Savior and you are raised to new life. You come back from the dead. And then, faith has a present tense. You walk with Jesus throughout your whole life. But faith also has a future tense. You see, there will be in the future a time when Jesus comes back and history ends, right? But until then, Christians will pass away. The Bible says that in the future, Jesus will call us back resurrected bodily resurrected to stand before him in ultimate judgment the future tense of our faith is that god will bring us back out of the grave literally physically never again to die that's the past and the present and the future tense of our faith are you born again spiritually if so the day is coming in the future when you will be resurrected and physical death will stalk you no more this is the promise of god Now, this whole thought of coming back from the dead is really disturbing, right? I heard that they're remaking the Pet Cemetery movie. I mean, have they learned nothing? How many of you had nightmares because of the Pet Cemetery movie when you were growing up? I would, it's kind of like a movie you watch with one eye covered, and you're like, no, what's happening? The last thing the world needs is cats that come back to life. I mean, they had their chance. Let's not give them another chance. Let's certainly not make them zombie cats, right? It's just a horrible thought. And, and Pet cemetery, you know, based on if somebody or thing dies, you put it in this Indian bright cemetery, and then, boom, it comes back to life. But there's problems because those beings are now wicked. You know, that's the whole premise of the movie. So I hope you don't see it. I'm not going to see it. The la- I've already had nightmares about that movie. This whole idea of things coming back to life is, like, gruesome and, 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 and disgusting. So, listen, I just want you to know that I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about zombies coming back to life. What I mean is this, death has been stalking you your entire life and everyone wants to know that they will escape death's icy claws, that you will live forever. You want your loved ones to live forever. You want to overcome death for good. So heaven isn't about like you coming out in like grave clothes with worms hanging off of you, like you are glorified, living in light as a being who has been risen never to die again, a member of God's household for eternity. That's what I mean when I say God is going to call you back to life. But it has to happen spiritually before it happens physically. Christ must give you new life now. You must triumph over the grave now through faith. Number one, are you saved by grace through faith in God's promises? Number two, are you born again to eternal life? Has God given you life from death? And then number three, have you trusted Jesus as the sacrifice to move your sin, to remove your sin? In verse 22, it says, That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The point is this. Jesus was offered up as a sacrifice to remove your sin. Do you trust that Jesus died in your place? Is that your plan to get into heaven? The idea of God counting to Abraham righteousness, what I said there is, it's as if you opened your bank account and there was suddenly $50,000 there that you didn't earn and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, and you call the bank and you're like, there's $50,000 here and I just want to make sure that I'm not guilty of fraud or that someone mistakenly misplaced this money. And if the banker was like, nope, there's somebody who just decided to credit it to credit it to your account, you'd be like, oh, wow. God giving you righteousness is the same principle. He credits it to your account so that when he looks at you in Christ, he doesn't just see you as if you've never sinned. That would be good enough. Right? It would be good if God took away, subtracted from the ledger all your sin. I'd be happy with that. It's better than that. He also credits righteousness to your account, meaning when he looks at you, he sees you as if you've never sinned and as if you have always done the right thing. Perfect righteousness. And you're like, how can that be? Right, that's grace. It's because when he looks at you, he sees his son. Jesus did that at the cross. Have you trusted Jesus as the sacrifice to remove your sin? and to give you righteousness. Let me summarize for you how the story of Isaac played out. Just as Isaac was given impossible life and was brought from a dead womb, that shows you how you and I can get saved. Just as Abraham believed the impossible promises of a miracle baby, you have to do that too. But it gets even more detailed. When a- when when Isaac was still just a boy, God said, "Abraham, go to a place I will show you and offer up your son Isaac." as a sacrifice for me this was one of the most disturbing stories in the Bible this child of promise who this couple waited a hundred years for God says take him to a place I will show you and kill him kill him and burn the body for me now how on earth do we square this with the just and loving God well it makes sense when you know the history and the geography the place where God led Abraham it a place called Mount Moriah. This is right around the area of Jerusalem. Now, where was Jesus killed again? Jerusalem. There was no Jerusalem there, though. It was just in the middle of nowhere at that time. So there Abraham is with the child of promise, a father with his son. And Abraham was standing in the region, if not if not in the very spot where Jesus would be crucified thousands of years later. And God says, Father, give your son. Do you see how this parallels God's plan, 2000 BC? Father, give your son. And Abraham reasoned, this can't work. This is a child of promise. If he dies, God can't keep his promises. God swore on God's own life to keep his promise. So Abraham's reasoning, according to the New Testament, was, God's going to have to bring him back to life. Like, that's the only way God could actually fulfill his promises. So I'm going to kill him, and then God's going to bring him back to life. Here we go. Are you you seeing how fascinating this is? There's a father giving his son, which is supposed to lead to the blessing for the world, where God the Father would give his son. Do you see that? This is plan A. Plan A. And Abraham said, the only way this could work is if my son comes back from the grave, which had never happened before. So Abraham's faith was that God would raise the child of promise to life to bless the world. He was believing exactly the same thing you and I need to believe, that God would raise the child of promise to life and give a blessing to the world. His faith was identical to yours. This is God's plan. You must believe that a child of promise came into the world, that a father offered that child, that that child was raised to life, and that's your only hope of being blessed by God. The plan has been the same for thousands of years, and it's a glorious plan. Have you trusted Jesus as the sacrifice to remove your sin? Just as Job was given a chance to curse God to his face, so humanity was given a golden opportunity when Jesus came into the world. We could bless God to his face, or we could curse him to his face. We could enthrone him or dethrone him, but we cursed him and we killed him. We were cruel and unusual to him, and he was kind. He was eternally kind in response to us. What happened at the cross? We found God worthy of death, and God found us worthy of life. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Or are you shouting in your heart, crucify him, get him out of here. He is nothing to me. Have you trusted Jesus as the sacrifice to remove your sin? It says here that he was raised from the dead in verse 24. He was raised from the dead and he is Lord. It says he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you agree with the Bible that you need someone to pay off your sin debt? And do you believe that only Jesus can give you justification he was brought to life from death, and He alone can bring you to life from death. In Galatians 3, 11 to 14, it says this, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Again, behaviors don't go to heaven. For the righteous shall live by faith. Believers go to heaven. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's a quote from the Old Testament. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of Spirit, here it is, through faith. The source of Abraham's righteousness was God's grace through faith. The source of your righteousness can only be by God's grace through faith. Are you banking on getting something that you will never deserve for eternity? You you know, if someone were to ask you, what's your plan of getting to heaven? Would you be like, I'm just going to mooch? What? I'm going to mooch. What do you mean? Well, I can't get in, but I know someone who can, and I am going to take advantage of his generosity. Is that your plan? Or are you like, oh, I serve the community. I give to... Is it a me plan or is it a mooch plan? The Bible makes it clear. We are invited to become members of the household of God. The family imagery here is pretty awesome. The idea that you could become not just like a tolerated resident of heaven, like just stay in your cul-de-sac and don't cause any trouble. No, you're like a family member is pretty awesome. And you can't just appoint yourself as a member of any family. Do you belong to the family of faith? Do you belong to the family of faith? It would be really weird if you just went and inserted yourself in some household today, just walked in, hey mom, and opened the fridge. Right? They'd grab a knife, okay, if you tried that. If you try and barge into a family that you have not legally been involved in, things will go poorly for you. And if you think you're just going to barge into heaven and be like, hey everybody, you, are you a member of the household of faith? Do you belong to God's family? God only has adopted children. He has one son who is family eternally and shares his divinity, one, and that's not you. All the rest of the kids are adopted. Have you been adopted by faith into the family of God? This makes it so clear Are you saved by grace through faith in God's promises? Are you born again to eternal life? Have you trusted Jesus as the sacrifice to remove your sin? Are you a behavior or are you a believer? I want to give you a chance this morning to stop being just a behavior. To stop acting your best, probably one day a week, and thinking God's impressed by that. And to say, I'm done with that. And to say, I'm a believer. I believe that Jesus came into the world the child of promise, virgin born. I believe that. I believe he lived the perfect life and died on the cross. I believe that. I believe he was thrown into a tomb and raised to life and 500 witnesses saw it. I believe that. I believe that he ascended to heaven in front of witnesses and he rules now, he's alive now at the right hand of God. I believe that. And I believe that today I could be with him in paradise. Today I can be with him in paradise if I go home. Is that your faith? This is the faith you're invited to believe. I'd love to give you a chance to respond in faith based on what you've heard right now. I'd love for you to say, I'm a believer. Let's close our eyes and let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Jesus, how clear this is. And Father, how profound your plan was. And it's the same plan. 2000 BC, a father offering his son. Offering his son. But we know how that story ended. The very moment when Abraham was about to take action, you stopped it. And from the sky, a voice said, Stop! And Abraham stopped. And there on that mountain, a sacrifice was provided in Isaac's place. But the day would come when your son would be offered on that same hill and you would not say stop. You went through with the offering and you gave your son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That Whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. This is the plan. Father, thank you for offering your Son. I pray for those here today who came to this morning not knowing if they were saved or perhaps thinking falsely that their behavior has merited them a place in heaven. May they turn from that plan. Today, may they become believers. And I pray that now there would be some in their own hearts saying, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe in his sacrifice. Some who are honest with you saying, I don't just need to become better. I need life. Give me new life, Jesus. Lord, I pray that there would be some here today who finally see what grace is all about, that they get something they will never earn for eternity, that it doesn't matter the vilest offender who truly believes that moment forever can receive the free gift of eternal life. Thank you that, Jesus, you came into the world to save sinners, even the worst. And I pray that there would be some here today who are asking Jesus, saying, Save me, save me, Jesus. Give me life forever. Raise me with you. And I pray that they would live with new confidence that they are members of the household of faith because they share in the faith of Abraham, the father of all who believe. Thank you for this gift of eternal life. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.